Good morning. If you can grab a Bible, turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Um, yeah, chapter 2, verse 11 uh, through 18. Chapter 2. Everybody doing good? Yeah? All right. Excited. I can tell you're fired up. Yeah. Uh, Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. So like, here's the title. Laying down hostility and picking up peace. Laying down hostility and picking up peace. This is a heavy passage this morning. There's a lot here. It's so much. And it's going to be so good. Um, you know, we've been in this series in Ephesians, Glorious Grace. Um, I'll tell you this, like, we have some plans uh, to, to touch on some key topics in our culture from God's Word uh, in this season that we're in, and we will still do that soon. But one of the reasons we went through Ephesians 1 through 3 first was just to lay this foundation of, of the grace of God, that that, that is just going to define our conversation about things we talk about. And so glorious grace that we see in Ephesians Chapters 1 through 3 is amazing. And actually, the actual book of Ephesians brings us into some of these topics anyways. And I think you'll see that this morning. We live in a world of hostility, of division, of polarization. Do, do we? Am I, is that, am I alone on thinking that? Um, yeah, we, we, we do. Polarized perspectives on politics on pandemics, on race. And I know that in the past few years, as that's been going on around us, and it's nothing new, too, just so we all can remember that. But as that's been going on, I know that you, each of you, have sort of located yourself in that. And probably if I just started doing this weird thing where I was like, raise your hand if this is your perspective, it would be the most awkward church experience. (laughs) We shouldn't do that. One of the reasons we shouldn't do it is it'd be really unhelpful in a church to do that. I would even say, as you think about how you've kind of located yourself on some of the issues, or maybe on some of them you haven't been able to, I would encourage you this morning to let God's Word locate you. Not on the issues, but in your core identity and unity that you have with other believers. Wars in our world, Russia and Ukraine. Hostility. Abortion, hostility, Holocaust, slavery, Jim Crow segregation laws. We live in a world of hostility. And it didn't start with uh, Trump, just so you know. It didn't start with George Floyd. It started, do you know where? With Adam and Eve and a serpent, Genesis 3. You know, in Genesis 1 through 2, God created everything is all good, very good. Uh, Adam is walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve are, are together, are intimate. It says they're naked and unashamed. And then they disobey God. And they immediately hide from God, alienation vertically. They put on fig leaves to hide from each other, alienation horizontally. They blame each other, hostility. And then God comes and he curses them for their sin. 
He removes them and bars them from paradise. He clothes them with animal skin. He makes a promise, even in Genesis 3, that the seed of the woman, Jesus, will one day come and crush the head of the serpent. This is just like from the very beginning, humanity, as things are getting rolling, we see hostility. So the title of the message this morning is Laying Down Hostility and Picking Up Peace. I think if I say this, you'll agree, what divides the world should not divide the church. What divides the world should not divide the church. McDonald's should not be doing a better job unifying people around hamburgers than the church is around the gospel. And yet when we go after service to McDonald's, oh wait, we're not going to, but if we did, it would be very multicultural. So, uh, there's a story that I love to think about. There's this child who ripped... There's, so anyway, there's this child holding a magazine, and in the magazine there's a really detailed picture of the world, a world map. And the child rips the page out of the magazine and tears it into like a million pieces. And the dad walks in and says, why'd you do that? I like that magazine. Why'd you do that? And the child's like, oops, it's a very young child. And the dad's like, you can't even put that back together. Can you try to put that back together? And the kid's like, I'll try. And the kid puts the the map of the world back together in like 10 minutes. Kid that has not studied geography yet. Come back to how the kid did it at the end. But we're going to look in this passage this morning at really this main idea of laying down hostility and picking up peace. The structure of this passage, Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, it really takes us into two points. The first one is really looking at alienated humanity, verse 11 through 12. Verse 13 through 18 is looking at the peacemaking Jesus who has made one new humanity out of two. That's the structure. I mean, we're going to take two points from those two sections. The two points are, it's just really built from the title. The two points are this, remember the hostility in our hearts and world without the gospel and lay down that hostility. And the second point is remember the peace that is now ours through the gospel and pick up that peace and live it out. So I'm going to read the passage to you. As I read it, I want you to look for key words. Look for the word remember. It's there twice. Look for the word hostility. It's also there twice. Look for the word peace. It's there four times. Get a sense for the meaning of this passage as you look for those key words. Let me read the passage and pray, and we'll dive into the first point, all right? Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, You Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, by the way. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Lord, we claim this verse 18. Through Christ, We, together this morning, have access through your Spirit to your presence. And we avail ourselves now of that access, God, and we come before you and we ask you to help us lay down the hostility in our hearts. With you, with others, God, you died on the cross. Jesus, you died on the cross to kill that hostility. So help us to pick up the peace that is ours in Christ and to live that out. Lord, help us to be agents of reconciliation, ambassadors of this new humanity that you have created in Christ. Help us to do that first in our own hearts and lives and then to model that to our watching city and world. Lord, we pray for this message. You would help us to focus, to pay attention, to to really get from this message, Lord, what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So laying down hostility and picking up peace. So the first point, and really the guide for these points is two gospel truths to remember and act upon. All right. Number one, remember the hostility in our hearts and world without the gospel and lay that hostility down. But look at verse 11. Therefore, remember. And keep in mind when it says therefore, keep in mind what is behind us. We've been studying Ephesians 2 and we've seen all these profound passages of glorious grace. Just last week, verses 8 through 10, that by grace we are saved through faith and this is not of our own doing. It's a gift of God. And that God has created in advance for us good works that we might walk in them. And then this passage might be a hint of the kinds of good works we're to walk in. Verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Look at this word here, remember. This is a command. It is here twice at the beginning of verse 11 and at the beginning of verse 12. And it would not be an exaggeration to say that this whole passage is about remembering something. We often remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. Think about it. Sometimes it's really important that we forget stuff. The Bible talks about this. Examples. Joseph, Genesis 41, verse 51, talks about how he has forgotten the hardships of his father's house growing up. He has forgiven his brothers. We're to forget certain things. 
Ezekiel talks about how Israel, once they have been saved by God, will forget their shame. Forget certain things. It's important that we forget certain things. It says actually to the Israelites that in, um, in Deuteronomy 24 that they are to forget one sheaf of their grain and leave it in the field. Forget it and leave it for the outcast, the alien, the stranger. Sometimes we're supposed to forget part of our possessions and be generous and give it away. Paul talks about how he is forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead in Philippians 3. We're supposed to sometimes forget our past achievements and press on toward following Christ. But we should forget something. We forget the wrong things, don't we? And we should really remember some things, and sometimes those are the things we forget. And that's the point, I think, that Paul is making here. He's saying, remember that at one time, who you were apart from the gospel. You know, the Bible is always telling us what we should remember. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper today, communion. In remembrance of me, do this. Remember the gospel. Remember the promises of God. And so here... Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. You say, what? Okay, we're, we're not going to have a biology class this morning. But listen, listen, look at what Paul's doing here. He's like, Gentiles in the flesh. That's who you guys are. You're Gentiles, but it's in the flesh. It's in the flesh. He says, in the flesh, two times here. That's a good reminder that cultural identity markers are outward. In the flesh. In the flesh. 1 Samuel 16, the Lord looks at the heart. Colossians 2 speaks of a circumcision, actually, of the heart. And that was talked about in the Old Testament too, in Deuteronomy 30. They weren't just Gentiles, though that were uncircumcised, what does it say? They were called the uncircumcision. That's name-calling. It's like, it's not just that you were alienated from the people of God, talking here to the Ephesian Gentiles before the gospel. It's not just that you were alienated, it's that you were constantly reminded of it by people calling you a name. It's hard to really wrap our minds around the Hostility and division that existed in the first century between Jews and Gentiles. In, for someone from the Jewish perspective, the world literally was just divided into those two categories. If a Gentile mother was in need, Jews would not help because they did not want to help in bringing another Gentile into the world. If a Jewish boy or girl got married to a Gentile, they would conduct a funeral for them. No, this was hostility. This was just alienation. Verse 12. Remember, again, you see the word remember, that you were at that time separated from Christ. Here we're going to see four realities in verse 12 about the status of these Ephesian Christians and really us too, apart from the gospel. 
Four realities. Look for them here. Number one, alienated. Or no, number one, separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. And number four, having no hope and without God in the world. I want you to make a note of this. This is very important. Do not miss this. The alienation and the hostility that Paul is telling them to remember. Don't miss this. It's not just between Jews and Gentiles. You see that? It's very important. Two of the four alienations that he talks about are, are between man and God. He's saying, before the gospel, you were suffering from a double alienation. There was hostility between you and people, Adam and Eve, right? But there was hostility between you and God, just as important, if not more foundational important. And the gospel addresses both. So make a note of that. And the real work of reconciliation addresses both. So number one, separated from Christ. No Messiah, that's what the word Christ means. All the in Christ statements that are such good news, like in Ephesians 1 when it says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. All those statements that are yours in Christ, they're not yours if you're separated from Christ. Hello? No Messiah, no Christ. That's number one. That's vertical. That's between man and God. Number two, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. I had to sort of look into this, the commonwealth. Sounded very colonial. You know, Virginia calls itself the commonwealth of Virginia. And I thought about, you know, why? Because the word state is a term that can be used of a territory. It can also be even used of a country that is democratic or one that's not democratic. It could be a dictatorship. It could be still a state. So unlike the word state, the word commonwealth rightly emphasizes that Virginia was founded for the common good of its people. This was written into Virginia's constitution during the American Revolution. The commonwealth of Israel. Gentiles are alienated from that. The privileges, the citizenship, the covering, the commonwealth that Israel enjoyed as the people of God was not for the Gentiles at this time. Number three, strangers to the covenants of promise. You know, the goodness of God toward man did not begin 2,000 years ago. God made a covenant, a promise, to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3.15. It's been said that the Old Testament is promises made and the New Testament is promises kept. And so the Gentiles, just the thing to note here is that they were strangers to all of that. I was recently talking with uh, someone who was friends with a person who is a trust fund baby. Uh, That is a person who has inherited boatloads of money. And usually the really wealthy sort of parents or grandparents, they designate a trust fund that just pays them like $30,000 a month. And that's, that's their job, to be rich. Uh, they have no job. They have no responsibilities. If they want to have a job, they can just for fun. 
but this is the life of a trust fund baby, someone who is the recipient of vast wealth that has been promised to them. And as the person was telling me the story, they, I didn't know the trust fund baby, but this person was telling me about their life. And I was just thinking, that feels so foreign to me. And I would love to be part of that. <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds amazing. God, I just want to pray right now, Lord, I promise to tithe on all of that. You know, it's like, I mean, how can I get in on that, right? Strangers to the covenant of promise. Much better promises from God to his people. And then fourthly, no hope and without God in the world. The word here for without God is the word atheos. You can hear in that word the same word, atheist. Without God. You say, well, this is a very pluralistic and religious sort of society. The world was so religious in the first century, still is today. Were they really atheists? Well, they were not with the true and only God. The Bible. And because of that, there was no hope in them. A good definition of hope is a God given certainty and anticipation that the future, specifically the forever future, will be better than this fallen world. Without God and without hope in the world. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord. But our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. So, remember the hostility in our hearts and world without the gospel. And lay that hostility down. The amazing thing about this, these verses is he's not saying remember it and live in it. He's saying remember its past tenseness. That's what he's saying. He's saying remember that Christ and the gospel have come to obliterate that. So live in that. Remember this hostility in your heart between you and God and in your world between you and your fellow man. We don't have to go all the way back to the Jews and Gentiles to see this hostility, do we? I was reading this week an article called The Color of Water. It was talking about the segregation of swimming pools. And I was like, oh, wow, it mentions Raleigh. And it was talking about Chavis Park, uh, which was, was, was built, I think, in the 30s, but how African-American families would drive miles, would drive long distances to come to Chavis Park because there's a pool they were allowed to swim in. Anyways, the part about Raleigh that really piqued my interest was, now, you know, in 1954, segregation was declared unconstitutional. But in 1968, that's eight years later. I'm sorry, 1962 is eight years later than 1954. I don't check my math. So it was in 1962, four young protesters jumped in the water at Poland Park Pool. You can see a picture of it on the screen. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, right? You know what happened next? The city of Raleigh closed all pools while they figured out this situation. And, you know, it's really amazing. It's like so sad. It's gripping. 
But that's the world we live in. That's not the church. That's the world. That's the hostility that is our world. And you know what? Here's the thing. And, and, and go to the next slide. Don't leave it up there. A heart-moving story like that is powerful. But here's my concern, and I really have this concern. I worry that we would only seek to apply a passage like this to the societal ills that we're aware of. And that we would not be personal about the gospel truths that we're seeing here this morning. Oh, it so applies to the societal ills and how the church should be different. What divides the world should not divide the church. We better also say amen to how the hostility that we have in our hearts toward our fellow man, conflict that we're harboring, bitterness and resentment that we're harboring as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to be dealt with in a Christian way. We must first think of the vertical reconciliation between God and man that is brought about by the cross of Jesus Christ. But, and then we must think of the relationships we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ where we are hanging on to hostility, not addressing it. I'm serious here. Like, I know so many people that are fired up about addressing the societal ills where there's hostility, but are not addressing the hostility in their personal relationships. Gospel must be for our whole lives. So, again, look at these key phrases. At one time, verse 11. Verse 12, at that time. Verse 13, but now. You see that? Past, present. At one time, at that time, but now. So what's the application? It's obvious. Lay it down. Lay it down. So two gospel truths to remember. Remember the hostility in our hearts and world without the gospel and lay that hostility down. Second point. This point is really amazing, and it's also a little faster. Remember the peace that is now ours through the gospel, and pick that peace up and live it out. Verse 13, but now, but now, uh, you saw in Ephesians 2, I think it was verse 4, where it talked in verses 1 through 3 about how we are spiritually dead, we're children of wrath, and then verse 4 says, but God, right? We saw that. So here, we, we looked at, you know, hostility that was at that time. And then, and then he says, but now. But now. So it's not just all the great but gods in the Bible, but it's also the great but nows in the Bible. This is the current life we're to be living. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near. Oh, that we might live this out. In our daily lives, that we might live out the reality that 
Brothers and sisters, we've been brought near. We live like deists. Do we live like we are in the presence of God as Christians who have been brought near by the blood of Christ? That's what near means, right? We used to have a long-distance relationship. Not anymore because of the blood of Christ. That's the truth here. By the blood, we've been brought near. Nothing else. Not a certain style of worship. Oh, what is our mediation between man and God? What brings us near? Not the forest. Not music. These things might help facilitate what Christ has done, but we are mediated between man and God by the God-man, Christ Jesus. The blood of Christ. So, the veil is torn. Isaiah 59 says, Sin has made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Romans, the wages of sin is death. Life is in the blood. Jesus' death, his blood, his substitution on the cross in our place, that is the mediation of alienated sinners to be reconciled to the Heavenly Father, to be sons and daughters be in his presence, to be brought near. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Make a note of the fact that Paul is still very comfortable talking about Jews and Gentiles. He still, they still have a cultural identity. Paul's not like, I'm colorblind. No, he's like, I see you. I see your culture. But the hostility should be gone. And, and he's like, the dividing wall of hostility that has divided you, it's gone. In fact, there was an actual wall. There was an actual wall separating the court of the Gentiles from the closer to the temple areas of the Jews. It was a lower area, so the Jews' area was elevated and was closer to the temple. The court of the Gentiles was separated by a stone wall that had signs on it, and they have found signs, archaeologists have. One read, no foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Wall, this wall of hostility was there. And the temple will be destroyed in 70 AD. Ephesians is written before that. So the actual wall is still standing there physically. Paul's saying, it doesn't even matter if it's there. Christ has abolished it. It's pointless. It's a relic of the past for believers. Like the Berlin Wall, like the walls of Jericho, Jesus has broken down this wall. How did he do it? It says, in his flesh. That's on the cross. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. 
so making peace, a new humanity, a new Adam, a new race. That's the gospel. See, law and commandments here, you might be thinking, well, Jesus didn't abolish the law. No, he didn't abolish the moral law. He fulfilled that. That still is a great guide for us to understand God's character. He's talking about the ceremonial law, the clean, unclean, dietary restrictions. This Jesus abolished. All the shadows of the Old Testament fulfilled in the work of Christ on the cross as the veil is torn, as the sacrifice is offered, as the sins are atoned for. One new man, it says. One new humanity. That's the vision of the gospel, that kind of unity. Verse 16 He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now hold on. Verse 16, remember I told you to look for this. Verse 16 is about us and God. Verse 16 is not horizontal reconciliation, it's vertical. That he might reconcile us both to who? To God. That is our most fundamental problem that because of our sin, We're alienated from the God who made us, loved us, and created us. So, the great work of Jesus on the cross is to reconcile us both. And that's Paul speaking. He's saying us both. Paul's saying me as a Jewish man, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, and you, Ephesian Christians, you Gentiles, us both, Jew and Gentile, us both, we have been together reconciled to the same God, which is really the heavy lifting of our reconciliation with one another. We've been brought into the same family, the same humanity, this new humanity. Through the cross, he says, in very non-pacifist terms, killing the hostility. Hostility between who? Between God and you. The wrath of God for rebellious, fist-shaking sinners. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. When did he do this? After his resurrection. Jesus walked around for 40 days and preached peace. Say, how do you know that? Is that from like the Apocrypha or the Gospel of Thomas or something? Like, no, John 20. He walks into a room filled with his disciples and he says, peace. Why? Because of what he did on the cross. Peace between them and God and peace between them and Gentiles. Only they have to lay down the hostility, leave Jerusalem, and pick up the peace that is theirs in Christ and take the gospel to the world, to the nations, the ethnos, the Gentiles. But he didn't just preach peace to those who were far off, did he? That would be the Gentiles. It says he also preached peace to those who were near because they needed it too, right? You can be irreligiously lost and alienated from God, but you can be religiously lost and alienated from God. Everybody needs the 
gospel of peace. Because apart from the gospel, we have hostility between us and God. So he preached peace. Thank you, Jesus, for preaching peace to us. Verse 18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Oh, please underline this verse. If you're using one of our uh, church Bibles, you can underline it for the next person, all right? What an amazing verse. This verse has the total Trinity in it. Through Him, that's Jesus, we both, that's Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody, have access in one Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, to the Father. And it's also just really speaking to the presence of God. We were far, we were long distance. He's brought us near. We now have access. We're to know God as Father. We're His children. It's so profound. So again, laying down hostility and picking up peace. This point here has been remember that the pe- remember the peace that is now ours through the gospel, and pick that peace up. Live it out in your life. You may not be able to change all the societal ills, but you can do in one relationship what you wish would be done in every relationship. We can start there in our lives. Live out this peace that is ours in the gospel. So the dad asked his kid, How did you put that map of the world back together so easily? You've never taken a geography class. You are just a young child. The kid said, oh, it's easy. On the other side of the page, there was a picture of a man. And I know what people look like, so I just put him back together, and that's what put the world back together. Friends, God is putting the world back together together through Jesus. One new humanity. It has already begun with the early church. God is doing it this morning. God will bring it to completion. So as I close in prayer, let me just quickly just give a few suggestions for application. And uh, here they are. Forget and remember the right things. Remember the gospel that reconciles us with God and men. If there is hostility between you and God, you place your faith in the blood of Jesus today. That hostility can be killed today. Do you need to make that move? Who individually or what kind of person, perhaps even, do you need to lay down hostility with and pick up peace. So I want to pray and 